Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome to another episode on the New Books Network. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Miranda Melcher, and I'm very pleased today to be speaking with Dr. Emily Aguilo Perez, whose name I'm trying to pronounce, Um, but the important point is that she is here to tell us about her book, which is fascinating, titled An American Icon in Puerto Rico, Barbie, Girlhood and Colonialism at Play, which helps us understand what Barbie is doing in Puerto Rico, how people are engaging with Barbie, what Barbie means, um, and how kind of multiple different strands of Puerto Rican history, of Puerto Rican identity and conceptions of various things, all sort of combine with this plastic doll icon. Um, So it's a really interesting book that has a bunch of threads in it that I'm very excited to talk about. So Emily, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. And you got my name right, so that's good. (laughs) Great. Well, lovely to start off that way. Um, To continue on a strong streak, could you please introduce yourself a little bit and explain why you decided to write this book? Absolutely. So I am an an associate professor of English in at Westchester University in, of Pennsylvania in the U.S. My area of teaching is children's literature, um, but also I expanded to children's culture because that's what my PhD was also in. Um, and Barbie, it's interesting because I, I talk about this a lot when people have asked me recently, oh, did you write the book because of the movie? <laughs> and I was like, no. Um, or like knowing that the movie was coming out. And I said, no, this has been my research for 11 years now. Um, it was my doctoral research. And when I entered my program at Penn State University, I did not think Barbie was going to be my topic at all. (laughs) Um, But I wanted to study girlhood. I had done some research and my thesis was on Alice in Wonderland and the ways that she had been adapted. So I knew that I wanted to take some character and, you know, study their representation um, or, you know, their role in popular culture. And just taking a couple of classes, Barbie became a topic of discussion. And it made me reflect on my own experiences with Barbie, which I talk about in my book, um, growing up, playing with Barbie um, excessively, I guess, (laughs) would be a way to describe it, and how much of a role she had in my childhood. But I never really thought about the doll or the character beyond just, you know, my afternoons playing with the doll and so little by little throughout my doctoral um, career I guess um, I just started doing more and more research on Barbie and I realized that there hadn't been a lot done 
in Puerto Rico specifically, which is where I'm from. So I thought that's a great space for me to enter into the conversation and, and see what were the experiences, because I only know my own and my sister's experiences with Barbie, which were very different from one another. And so I, I wanted to get a sense of what women and girls in Puerto Rico um, experience. That's a great backstory. So thank you for introducing us to that. Um, can you then, obviously the, the kind of is like, okay, great. So you had this question, you wanted to go investigate. Can you tell us a bit about how you did this research and maybe a brief kind of who you spoke to? Yes. Yeah, so, well, it started out with, <clears throat> I, I, I wanted to do so many things and I could only do so so much in a dissertation project. So what I really wanted to do was to try to talk to as many women and girls as possible. Um, and it started out with, I think I posted on Facebook, a little flyer that I made of, you know, if you have experiences with Barbie, whether you loved her or hated her or feel, you know, warm-ish about her um, and you want to talk to me, let me know. And so um, it started out with that. And so part of the research, the participant research was with, it ended up being 23 women and girls. And I have people from almost all generations of like, or every decade up until the 2010s. Um, so I had, I talked to women who were born or yeah, we were born in the fifties or early sixties, um, seventies, nineties, no, eighties, nineties and 2010. So I think I, I was only missing people from the two thousands. And, um, so some of those were individual interviews. Some of them were group interviews. Some of them were, um, personal communication through email or a combination of those um, just so that I could keep if I had some follow-up questions and um, yeah and, and they took place in different places some of them were uh, I like at a library or at in someone's backyard some of them I went to their house or we met at a park and like there was one group with girls that with their mom that we met at a public, I think a park and they brought their big bin of dolls <laughs> with them so that they could <laughs> show me all of their dolls. So, mm -hmm. so that's kind of like how it happened with the participants. Brilliant. Thank you for that. Um, I think as we talk further, the, the age range is such a strength of what you've done. So mm -hmm. I'm glad you highlighted Thank that you. Um, early on. Um, so obviously that mental image you just gave us of the the big bin of all the dolls and kind of the mental conception of Barbie is very much the physical doll. Um, and it would kind of be an easy assumption that that's only what we're talking about. But would you mind sort of expanding for us a bit the extent to which how much are we focusing on the doll versus Barbie a bit more broadly? So, yeah, that's a great question because it's Barbie is so much more than the doll, although a lot of the criticism or, or you know, or the research is about like the, the doll figure itself. Um, there, not to say that there hasn't been research about other uh, Barbie items, but 
Barbie as a brand includes not just blonde Barbie, but then all these other friends. And then there are things like I'm looking even at my shelf right now. And I have these binoculars from when I was younger. Um, I have some of the dolls from my childhood. But um, I had a little like electric power wheel car. Some um, so so when we're talking about Barbie, when I'm talking about Barbie, in my research in my book, it expands to all like more than just a doll. And so a lot of my of the participants talked about their interactions with, uh, for example, the Barbie magazine. Some of them have pictures of other toys that they played with, like the roller skates or um, books. Like I know some of the girls had, I think, a cooking book or a recipe book. Um, so um, the movies, I don't think anyone talked about the video games, but I know that that's another way, like in my own teaching with uh, students who were actually like my students. So these, these are not from my book, but more recent experiences who were born or like growing up in the 2000s, their interactions with Barbie were a lot through the straight to DVD movies. Um, so yes, to answer that quickly, yes, it's more, it's more than just the, the doll figure. Yeah, no, that, that's helpful to clarify, right? Sort of at the beginning, um, in a similar vein of sort of setting the scene, how big a deal is Barbie in Puerto Rico? Like, how is this a popular toy? Kind of how much is this part of childhood and girlhood? And what sorts of factors do you think explain this? So speaking through the different generations that I talked to, Barbie has been very, very popular. And so one uh, piece of data that I have from um, that I'm quoting someone else, um, but saying that at the time, so like in 1997, uh, the Pan American, Pan Latin American Kids Study observed that 24% of all Latin American girls said that they owned a Barbie. And then at the time, the highest penetration occurred in Puerto Rico with 72% of girls owning Barbie dolls. This is 1997. So I feel like 19, the 1990s was definitely the height of popularity, Barbie popularity. But it has been a toy that la like has, has a long-lasting presence even today. And I think with the... With the movie, there was certainly a resurgence. I can see on social media, even though I don't live in Puerto Rico anymore, I could see through social media how adults were very excited about the Barbie movie and kind of remembering a lot of their own toys and their own stories of playing with the dolls. So it has been since her arrival to Puerto Rico, I would say it has been a popular toy and character. Oh, no, that, that's helpful to set the scene. Um, let's talk then about Barbie coming to Puerto Rico. When did this happen? And why was Barbie's arrival so strongly correlated as being here is the American dream? So in my research, and I, I talk a little bit about this in the in the book, because I was very curious about when the uh, the doll arrived, especially because 
in my experience, I remember when even with movies, a movie would come out in the U.S. one date and in Puerto Rico, it wouldn't come out until at least maybe like a couple of weeks later. I think now it's almost at the same time. So I was curious if Barbie had arrived like at the same time as she was produced and sold in the U.S. Um, and so I started asking, I started with asking my mom because I knew that she had the first Barbie or one of the first. And so she said, I, I think it was like 1962 that I had her. Um, and so I started looking through newspapers from between 1959, which is when Barbie was produced and 1962, just to see when there was any appearance of her. And so The first appearance that I saw was in, in the national newspaper from that time, and it was 1961, um, I believe it was when, or 1962, December 1962, when there's a report about the toy fair in New York City, and then there's also an ad for different toys for Christmas. And then there's little Barbie over there um, standing. So that's, you know, a few years later. But what is interesting about the arrival is that it's happening at a time when also Puerto Rico is going through this um, industrialization where there's a lot of incentive to um, attract U.S. companies to come into Puerto Rico to produce um, and to, you know, just have a place there to, you know, expand their productions and their um, distributions. And it's called, um, this is a project called Operation Bootstrap. And um, so it was trying to industrialize the island. So it's in a way, tying to this idea of like things that are from the U.S. are better, right? Our, our progress, are seen as progress. And so there's a lot of, um, I said, like tax incentives for or tax exemptions for these companies and um, to come to the island and establish themselves there. And then there's Barbie arriving too, this white, blonde, blue-eyed version, like this image, right, of American beauty and in a way American dream, right? Because now people are seeing, and especially girls like this model looking doll who is very, um, you know, kind of wears fashionable clothes and you can kind of imagine a little bit of like upward mobility <laughs> through her. So, so there's this very like political economical context where Barbie is also coming in. And I think it's, it goes kind of hand in hand with the selling of the idea of the American dream coming to your home, right? To Puerto Rico. And then this doll, also coming in. 
Yeah. So I don't no, know that if that, <laughs> I, I'm trying to yeah. make, make sense in, in a, and explain it <laughs> in a way where yeah. I'm not like reading my whole chapter <laughs> about that. But no, um, of course, I mean, this is obviously a good moment to remind listeners that we're doing sort of a highlights version. Of yeah, but so but that's kind of like in, in a nutshell. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. yeah in a nutshell, that's that's the story. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Thank you. Um, I'd love to kind of build on that and mm. go to the time where you've already said is kind of peak Barbie, perhaps. Yes. Um, looking at the 1990s, and I think there's probably, you know, we could make all sorts of arguments about the 1990s might be peak Barbie globally, but there seems to be something really specific happening in Puerto Rico, especially because there's the Puerto Rican Barbie. Mm-hmm. So can you kind of take us through what are the debates about Puerto Rico and, and the U.S.? How does this fit into the Puerto Rican Barbie that launches, I believe, in 1997? Mm-hmm. How yes. do all these things go together? So with Barbie, so yes, just to just to kind of contextualize 1990s, definitely more Barbie products all around. And so I think there's like this bombarding of Barbie and, and other toys too, um, where, you know, you have KB Toys, Toys R Us, all these stores also, you know, selling you so many products. So I think there's that. But specifically in Puerto Rico, yes. So you have the production of the Barbie, Puerto Rican Barbie, uh, which comes out in 1997. And this is part of the um, line, the Dolls of the World line, which Mattel produces or used to produce more, you know, on a yearly basis, different countries. Some of them have been represented more than one. So there's Mexico has been, has had at least five dolls, I believe. And so this is the only time that there's a Puerto Rican one. There hasn't been one after. So what's happening is there's this, and there's debate also within my participants too. It was interesting because my participants who grew up in the 90s, like including myself, are seeing this doll that is from Puerto Rico. Oh my gosh, like I'm there, right? Whether she looks like me or not, I'm part of the lineup. I'm part of Barbie now. And of course, it's also a collector's edition. So it's not part of what we would say the normal playable lineup. It's more to be preserved. Um but then it's coming into production during a time, I mean, there are still debates about the status of Puerto Rico still to this day. Um, Puerto Rico is a colony, whether the U.S. likes to call that or not. Um, we are a colony of the U.S. And so we have certain autonomy, but then we're also we have to follow certain, you know, laws and rules from the U.S. And so there's always debates about whether we want to vote for trying to make Puerto Rico independent, make it a state, keep it how it is. And it really depends on who's also the governor in Puerto Rico. Mainly, even though we have more than three parties, it's been ruled by two parties, the pro-statehood and the pro-status quo. So at the time when Barbie comes out, or the Puerto Rican Barbie, 
Puerto Rico's governor is uh, Dr. Pedro Rosselló, who is a pro-statehood governor. And so that, I think, fueled more um, of the debate, right, of this American doll um, being brought out or coming out during a time when there was, I think, um, or not, I think, I know there was a um, a voting of whether people wanted statehood or not. Um, so what some people uh, in the debates were saying was that Barbie could be seen, or the Puerto Rican Barbie doll could be seen as something of a pro-statehood move. Um, and especially when it comes to identity, like, are we as Puerto Ricans wanting to be a Barbie doll who is this big symbol of American culture? Um, it's not something that everyone, it's not the perspective that everyone had. And there were also debates and conversations regarding the look of the doll, because some People were saying, well, she looks still very white, um, which is a, which is a, an observation of Barbie in general, when there's a Barbie of color or when it's a Barbie that is trying to represent a specific culture or ethnicity. Is it still whitewashing that culture? The fact that in the box, some of the boxes had a description saying, you know, like we, the U.S. gives us gives us permission to make our own rules for something like it's very um, kind of patronizing and paternalistic. And so all of these conversations, I think, are contributing to these differing ideas regarding Barbie in the context of Puerto Rico's political debate. Hmm. I I hope I was able to make that a bit clear. It is a, it is a complicated history. And so that was one of the, sorry, I know this wasn't the question, but um, (laughs) it it was part of when I was writing the book of trying to provide this context where I have to not only explain Barbie and the participants experience with Barbie, but then I also have to explain this complicated history between Puerto Rico and the U.S. and how these things are weaving mm-hmm. together. Yeah, no, they're, they're, they're not separate, right? No, yeah. Probably doesn't exist in a vacuum. So mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, no, that's helpful. Um, I'd love to ask you a bit more about something you just mentioned, the idea that different generations sort of on certain issues would have kind of different takes, mm-hmm. different conceptions of, oh, well, that's not what I thought about this. So if we kind of think about the generations mainly as the key variable here, across all the different things you asked them about, what were some of the key similarities and differences you found Mm. across the generations? That is very, um, very interesting because all generations, excuse me, all generations agreed that Barbie is this, epitome of femininity she is a symbol of of being a feminine uh, kind of girly girl 
but the perception of that changes throughout the generations. So like the earlier generations definitely saw that as, oh, I want to be like her. This She looks so posh and fashionable. And then there were like the girls from the 90s <clears throat> who had more complicated um, feelings about that because some of them, like they still saw Barbie as the symbol of femininity, some of them wanting to emulate that and some of them rejecting that or, or thinking like, I just don't want to be like her or my parents expect me to be like Barbie, but I'm not. Um, or or even saying like, I wanted to be like her, but I also didn't want to be like her. So So there was more complexity. And then what was interesting was that with the girls that were born in the 2010s, so at the time of the interviews, they were between 9 and 11 years old. They said the same thing, but they were much harder on Barbie. <laughs> they would say, like, you know, I play with her, but I actually prefer Monster High dolls or these other dolls that are not as thin, that are not as, like, only kind of related or centered on fashion. Um, and they wanted that, that they wanted dolls that looked more cool. So like the monster high dolls were cooler than Barbie. Um, so, but I think like overall, they all agreed that Barbie is the symbol of femininity, but they all viewed that differently. Which is absolutely fascinating. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I have to ask you more about this. I mean, there's so much yeah. I can ask you <laughs> on this. But if we think about that bigger category of the symbol of femininity and go within that to the particular issue of body image, mm-hmm. how did your participants understand and discuss Barbie in that context? So that was also, and this was what was really interesting for me when I was especially like listening to the interviews in the moment, but then when I was transcribing the interviews was really seeing the generational differences. Because again, I saw the the first generation, Barbie was a novelty at the time. Like they mostly were playing with baby dolls, which some of them enjoyed, but they were caretakers. And now there's this doll, um, like I know one of them, talked about having played with paper dolls and so now you have this 3d version of a paper doll and so for them they they express at least that they weren't really looking at barbie's body in that way although this is like (laughs) this could be maybe like a follow-up um story but there was when i was interviewing one of them especially she would make a lot of comments about body image that I I was like, oh, she's describing sort of Barbie as the goal of what you should look like. So even though she said that Barbie didn't necessarily have an effect on how she viewed her own body or, you know, her own beauty, what she described was really describing Barbie. (laughs) But then with girls from the 90s, I think, again, there was more of the complexity of some of them saying, some of them talking about 
noticing Barbie's body when they were playing, when they were kids. So there was one participant, Carla, who would talk about, you know, Barbie as a frenemy because she loved Barbie. She wanted to look like Barbie, but she understood that she didn't look like Barbie. So she loved Barbie, but then at the same time hated Barbie because of the body. Um, and then others who would say, you know, at the time when I was growing up with Barbie, I don't think like even when I wanted to have bigger boobs, it wasn't necessarily because of Barbie. It was because I was seeing that everywhere in magazines, on TV. So they didn't necessarily pin it on Barbie, but some of them now that they're mothers, they say, I want to be careful with what my, like how my daughter interacts with Barbie so that she doesn't get messages about her body because of the doll. And then the girls, um, the little girls, they were actually so funny. There was a pair of two sisters who would, they were the ones who brought up, they asked me, do you know who the, like the real Barbie? And I said, no. And so they started talking about this woman who had gotten a lot of surgeries to look like Barbie and then the Ken. And they were the ones who initiated the conversation about Barbie and the body. And they showed me this doll that I can't, I can't remember the name. It might be Nancy. Um, that they said, this looks like us. It's a, it's sort of like American girl type of doll. Um, but they're like, yeah, this looks like a girl. She looks, you know, she has a little bit of meat <laughs> in her. Um, and it's not curvy like Barbie and it's not super thin. So they were very aware of Barbie's body and they talked about it. They brought that topic up. Mm which I found really interesting because I was uh -huh. trying to figure out as an interviewer, how do I bring this topic up with the girls without leading them? Uh -huh. Like I wanted the conversations, the interview to happen as organically as possible. While I also wanted to know their thoughts on this, but, but I knew I had to be careful about how I would bring that up too. So it was just fascinating to me that they were the ones who started talking about it. Yeah, no, very much. Um, the other kind of common criticism of Barbie uh, beyond body image is, of course, race. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned a little bit the kind of blondness of Barbie being um, significant. Thinking sort of what we've done a bit before, right? Not just Barbie, but how does Barbie fit into the wider conversations already happening in Puerto Rico? How does race... Barbie, the context of race in Puerto Rico, how do these things all come together? Well, this, the, the, um, the conversations about Barbie and race in general, right? Like there's, there's a lot of valid criticism about Barbie being very white and always the white Barbie is at the center. And even when there have been dolls of color they're not necessarily reflecting like you know the f facial features or hair texture or or other aspects that are part of you know uh, that are racial characteristics so there's that already and then in the context of puerto rico there is there is a lot happening with race so i'll try to summarize um so one of those things is that 
we have, um, and this happens not only in Puerto Rico, in, in a lot of Latin American uh, countries too, the idea of mestizaje, that we come from three different races, right? We have the, the Spanish, we have African, and then we have indigenous. And so there's this idea a lot of times, and especially in the discourse, specifically in Puerto Rico, where people use that to say, well, no, we're not racist. We, we like, we all come from, you know, we all have black inside us, or we are all, we all have some indigenous blood in us. And um, so there's that, right? Like using that as a kind of like a immediate defense. There are also discourses that are anti-black um, and, and that happens a lot with things that are said, whether people are aware of what they're saying or just like this is something that has been, you know, passed down generation through generations of saying things like you need to like, oh, you're you're improving the race, right? Mejorar la raza. So when someone who is black or has dark skin, marry someone with a lighter skin or who's white, it's kind of there the saying is you're you're improving the race, right? You're whitening the race in a way, even if they don't use that word. So there are these discourses that happen with race that people want to say, oh no, no, there's no racism in Puerto Rico, there's no colorism, but you see a lot of the discrimination, a lot of the ways that people talk about um, people with darker skin or black people. Um, there's also an example that I bring up was one of the, um, so Miss Universe or those kinds of uh, beauty co uh, competitions are very big in Puerto Rico. So there was one, uh, the first black Miss Puerto Rico in, in the island, um, when she won, she she talks about how much she faced racism because people were like calling her ugly people said that you know that wasn't really what a puerto rican looks like um so so there's this denial of racism while it happens and so when it comes to barbie it's interesting to see how it might mirror some of that or with again with some of the younger like generations they would be very aware and saying barbie is too white we need more diversity we definitely need more barbies of color um and but then when i would talk to like some of the older generations there was one, um, I remember one participant saying, yeah, I really didn't like the black Barbies. And she's like, I'm not racist. I'm not racist, but I, I don't like the. I just didn't like it. And I was like, why, why do you, do you think you didn't like her? And she's like, I don't know. I just didn't think that she looked like me. Um, and so I think there was this like wanting to ensure that she didn't seem like she was racist, but also kind of saying like, you know, I, I think Barbie represented me fine, <laughs> but then there are other 
girls who were like, no, I, I didn't see myself represented in Barbie because there weren't enough Barbies of color. So I kind of had to be okay with like whichever one looked the tannest and had dark hair. Um, so those, those were some things that were happening in those conversations with the participants regarding Barbies of color. Uh-huh. No, that that's, I think, really interesting. It kind of reflects the ambivalence that's in the wider debate that you introduced mm-hmm. us to, um, which is interesting. One aspect you cover in the book uh, that I would like to get into is obviously with talking to people across so many generations, there's not just the differences between the generations, but also the interactions between them. Mm-hmm. And you've mentioned a few times examples of kind of mothers and daughters having conversations about Barbie. Um, I would like to talk about that a bit more directly. What yeah. role did you find that Barbie played in within family dynamics, especially oh, sorry. within like mothers, daughters, that kind of thing? Yes. So... For some of these, for the beauty of it was that I didn't even know this would happen, right? Like for some of them, I said, you know, like if you if you want to be part of the interview, especially with the little girls, like I would love to have the mother's perspective as well as the, as the child. And but then I know with one participant, with two participants, especially. Um, it it was even beyond what i was expecting so you have this the this mother and daughter who the mother was first generation she had one barbie doll in her childhood and she like took her everywhere and then at some point as an adult she didn't have that doll anymore and she wanted to live vicariously through her daughter so she bought her daughters a lot of barbie dolls and her daughter loved playing with the doll And then as an adult, the daughter stops playing, obviously, with Barbie, but the mom keeps all of her dolls intact, like the way that, like with the same clothes, with the same shoes, everything in a plastic bin. And then she has her own collection of dolls. At that point, it was like 200 and something dolls that her mother had displayed all around the house on shelves and, um, but in, the, in my conversations with them, it was really clear how the mom was really like living her own childhood through her daughter. And it became a bonding experience because now the daughter likes Barbie when she's growing up. She plays with them and the mom can either play with her or just like feel a little bit of her own childhood through her daughter. And so... Now, as adults, the two of them, uh, the 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 daughter says, you know, I don't have any a lot of interest in Barbie, but I love giving my mom gifts because all she wants is Barbies or Barbie things as gifts. So just like she gifted me Barbie when I was growing up, now I'm gifting her Barbie growing up um, or as an adult. So so that that was one experience. There were other ones where the mom did never got to play with the Barbie doll. So again, she was living vicariously through her daughter by buying her dolls she could play with, but then also she would buy the Dolls of the World collection to display. And she would say like, just looking at them made me happy. Like I didn't need to play. I just had to, just having the dolls there 
kind of gave me a, a bit of like childhood nostalgia. Um, and then there were some that were with with the mothers and the daughters that were young at the time they were they would say you know i play with barbie as a when i was growing up and then as a mom i wasn't sure if i wanted my daughter to play with barbie or not but once she asked for one i didn't want to deny the doll so then she she, she they would allow barbie in the in their house and just be but or not be but the 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 girls were the ones who were very observant so they were the ones who would make comments about barbie's body and barbie's hair and barbie's color and so i think the moms were satisfied with the fact that the girls got to play with barbie while also being you know critically thinking about barbie <laughs> and not necessarily feeling like barbie would influence you know their own self uh, confidence and body image and um that they would actually look at the doll more critically mm. than maybe they did when they were growing up mm. no interesting i think in that answer particularly that's given us a sense of kind of just how much of an impact barbie has on mm-hmm. some people's childhoods and girlhoods So going right all the way back to kind of what you were interested in investigating coming into this project, coming out of it now, the book is obviously done. (laughs) What are some of the ways that kind of you think are the most significant or have stuck with you the most in terms of how participants talked about Barbie having a significant role in their girlhoods? So based on the participants, Barbie was very significant, whether it was in a positive or a negative way or in an in-between, that's right. Like that's one conversation, but they all express how big Barbie was in their own childhood. And so for some of them, Barbie was this companion, this friend, this, you know, and, and this is including me, I was actually on the phone with my mom yesterday and I don't know how the conversation ha- started, but I, I was saying, you know, like I remember, and I, I think I write, I write this in the book too, that I shared a room with two, with my two sisters, the moments where I could be alone with my dolls and my Barbies, I was so happy <laughs> because it was the only time that I felt like I had my own room. Um, and so I think it, it it was like that for a lot of the participants that Barbie had an impact, had a big role. And I think that I, I say that I don't want to generalize based on these 23 experiences, but given the numbers too, especially I would say with the generation of the 90s, Barbie was big um, because it was everywhere too so you couldn't really avoid her and I feel like we have a resurgence of that now too Um, but of course yeah some of them said you know Barbie was like the friend that I had or or with some of them even when they had complicated feelings about Barbie one of them expressed like Barbie was the 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 thing, the doll that she would use to have conversations with her mom that she couldn't actually have with her mom. Cause she's like, my mom wouldn't understand me. So like I would play out scenarios 
of things that I wanted to talk to my mom about, but I didn't feel like I could. And so even though this, this participant felt like, oh, sometimes I hated Barbie. She also loved Barbie because of that, because she could kind of express herself through the doll. So overall, I think she had a big impact on girlhood. No, it definitely sounds like it. Um, as my final question, perhaps related to Barbie, we'll find out. Uh, <laughs> the book is obviously out, it is available, which means you're no longer working on it. Is there anything you might be working on or looking to work on, whether or not it's a book, whether or not it's about Barbie, that you would like to preview a little bit? I, I certainly am working on a lot of things. So so I'm also, um, I'll say that I'm, I also do work about or I have been doing work about Disney. And and so it's interesting just having these two big things. Um, right now, these projects with Barbie, which, you know, the movie came out, and so it has been everywhere. And then Disney, where, you know, the company celebrated its 100 year. So there's a lot of Disney-related things happening as well. With Barbie specifically, yeah, so one of the, um, something that as I was teaching my classes about Barbie and also thinking about the research that I did, I thought about Barbie media, um, the the DVD, the movies, the video games, the um, magazines, all these other ways that we interacted with Barbie. And how there's research on that, but I felt like there wasn't dedicated research on it. And so I um, I wanted to, I knew I couldn't write a whole book again like that quickly. So I wanted to um, do an, uh, an, uh, an anthology and edit a collection about Barbie in media. And so I am working with my, uh, with another colleague um, and scholar, Dr. Rebecca Haynes, um, and we're editing, co-editing a collection on Barbie in media, and then also one about Barbie and social media, because we received a lot of abstracts related to social media, and we thought, oh, we need to do <laughs> two different volumes. So that's one, that those are two projects that I'm currently working on. And then also um, I'm writing an article for the Girlhood Studies Journal related to Barbie and also um, an Oxford bibliographies about childhood. I was asked to write about Barbie. So, so Barbie has been... I call her, I, I say she's inescapable right now, and especially because the movie came out and there was so much um, hype again and, and a resurgence of Barbie that I really couldn't escape her. And I feel like I don't want to escape her either. But I feel like a lot of my projects are just are Barbie right now. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Well, <laughs> listeners can read the part of your Barbie work that we've been discussing, the book yes. titled An American Icon in Puerto Rico, Barbie, Girlhood and Colonialism at Play. Emily, thank you so much for being with us on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me.